Okay, welcome to Into the Channel, a podcast primarily about women's football. Before we hit the pitch, if you enjoy the show or love women's football as much as your boys do, subscribe or follow us, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to watch or listen. Comments, ratings, reviews, always appreciated at ITC underscore pod on X, at Into the Channel pod on threads. I am your host, Dino DeCespedes, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Grant Engel. What is up, man? Feeling great, buddy. Football is pretty much back at this point. I mean, it's more than pretty much back. It's back. We got games to talk about. I really enjoyed doing our World 11s last week, and we have some other lists that we're going to talk about today. But I think the reason that we're here is because we like to watch the games, bro. And we have a few good ones to discuss later on that should give us some insight into how the rest of the Champions League could shake out. Uh, But before we hit the pitch, let's talk about these lists. The Guardian just dropped their famed 100 best women's footballers in the world list. Mm -hmm. And ESPN FC just dropped their top 50 list uh, about a month ago. And I feel like we should talk about them. Let's go. Champions League, it's on break for another 10-ish days. The uh, domestic leagues slowly working their way back. We're getting some League Cup type stuff. And we're still a couple weeks away, I think, from the action hitting full throttle. So great time to look back. You know, we did our starting 11s. Very fun. I'm excited to hear what stuck out to you. Number one, pun intended here. I do not think we should be too surprised that the lists are pretty similar, especially at the top. And let's just get this out of the way. Not because it's a chore to talk about, because she's one of the most wonderful players uh, in the world to watch. Uh, In fact, according to both of these lists, she's the number one player in the world. And that is, of course, Aitana Bonmati of Spain, of Barcelona. I think she is about as close to a consensus best player in the world that you would get in men's or women's football. You know, even in the days of Lionel Messi, there was a really, really sizable contingent of people who were ardent that Cristiano Ronaldo was a better individual talent. I don't think there's a ton of that in the women's game right now with Bone Mati. Definitely agree with that. I was probably a less, I mean, I was absolutely a less informed soccer fan at that point. And I was definitely more of a Ronaldo guy just because his play was so spectacular to see like his, his spectacular was more spectacular. I've since swung probably the other way, you know, when you learn more about the genius that is Messi and Bone Mati, you know, we've talked about on the show, some Messi vibes. I think that's fair to say. Oh yeah. And then obviously Bone Mati's winning everything. Yeah. World Cup, Liga F. Champions League. I mean, they might repeat. She might lead that team to a repeat across all three yep. World Cup included in a few years. And then obviously they have a, somewhat of the inside track to be able to qualify for the Olympics as well. Yeah. You know, they'll probably lose in the Euros to England. No bias there whatsoever, obviously. <laughs> uh, but that will be uh, interesting to see. But yeah, her at number one. What are we going to do? Argue with that? Probably not. So talking about the list a little more, you know, it's obviously a benefit for the Guardian that they have a hundred players to work with for their list. I feel like it kind of gives them like editorially to kind of try to make some bolder decisions. One thing that stuck out to me as we just kind of get into the list now, but Kira Walsh of England and Barcelona, she is number 17 on ESPN's top 50. She's number four, according to the guardian. And I think that was one of the more significant differences that I saw. And I just got to wonder, man, Barcelona, they paid around 400K for her transfer fee, which I think is still the highest ever for a women's footballer. It's still kind of easy for Walsh to get lost in that all-star team. And it's just like, how much does that kind of impact ESPN's view on it? You know, you read stuff about this player uh, and about this squad, and it's like, do people really understand how much of an engine she is? And that you have been following Barcelona in your assigned group, Group A, as we cover the Champions League. What are people missing with Kira Walsh? 
sometimes this description gets thrown around in the NBA where a player can go stretches where you don't realize they're on the floor. Mm-hmm. And I think Kira Walsh has a little bit of that. I think when she's on it, you know, again, she's spectacular and very smart, super responsible and just super effective as a footballer. But obviously the team's loaded. You know, she played on that England team as well. She had sort of that um, near miss injury during the World Cup. But she didn't quite have the spectacular moment there either, you know, so just a really, really super solid player that um, and maybe it's also the transfer fee price tag that kind of is looming. We see this also in the other sports when there's the transfer fee like that. The expectations are obviously sky high as well. I think to be fair, she's probably somewhere in the middle. I don't think she's as high as four. I don't think she's as low as 17. I think that's a totally fair take. I was going to ask, like, which one is she closer to? It's hard. It's almost impossible to say, really. Right. I mean, she is. She is in the middle. And I can tell you in the lead up to the World Cup, as I was like listening to uh, the Daily Football BBC podcast, and they were interviewing the players in the buildup. I think it was, it might've been Millie Bright or maybe might've been Alex Greenwood perhaps, but they said they would jokingly give her a little bit of shit. Like the world's most expensive footballers here, everybody. Let's, let's get ready to play now. And like, you know, it's, that's a thing that comes with, with that price tag. Yep. hundred percent. You'll be surprised to learn that uh, your boy had some quibbles with the list. Just a couple quibbles. Um, first quibble, CGH, number 15 on ESPN's list. <laughs> uh-huh. That didn't feel right. Uh, the Guardian had her at number seven. I'm going to go with that in my personal record books. Yep. Not only is she great, but she's fucking playing great. Yeah. The last I checked, I think she either had like nine goals and nine assists or 11 goals and 11 assists in 11 games. Like something just astronomical. Yep. And then you also see it on the pitch. She's just a menace. Like it reminds me of the game of freeze tag. You know, when, when there's elementary school kids, it's just one kid's just more elusive and faster and just could do whatever they want. She doesn't strike me as being that fast, but you just can't get near her, you know, and she just will find space, find a way around you one way or the other. And then she'll find somebody open or she'll just thump it into the net and then just kind of go go about her business. So she's ice cold. Exactly my kind of player. She was on both of our starting 11s. I think she is closer to number seven than she is to 15. So shout out to the Guardian on that one. Totally agree. I mean, you really nailed it. She might not even kind of look that fast, but it's the on the ball speed and then the passing ability at speed which I think is just breathtaking sometimes that the passing accuracy at speed, it just yep. jumps off the screen every time you watch her play. 100%. I will say this is not a quibble. Uh, I think this is mostly just a shout out. So obviously I'm wearing it on my chest. It's well established who I support on this, uh, on this podcast. Oh yeah, I see that. The Manchester City Sky Blues had four players in the ESPN Top 50. They had six in the Top 50 of the Guardians list. Lauren Hemp, Bunny Shaw, Alex Greenwood, Jill Roard, Yui Hasegawa, and Chloe Kelly. Chloe Kelly was absent from ESPN's list. I think that's probably a miss. They had Alex Greenwood at 50 on ESPN's list. She's 33 on the Guardians list. I got to wonder how much of that is, you know, they're probably paying. And it's not that... ESPN does not have journalists covering the WSL, but I just think the Guardian has home field advantage in, in that case. And I think they get to see Alex Greenwood's contributions to the club for the team that's, uh, you know, sitting second in the table in the WSL right now. So, you know, I'd like to see that showing. And it's always, always good. I, I did think it was funny. Yui Hasegawa, number 40 on the Guardian's list, number 44 on ESPN's list. We talked a lot about her during uh, the World Cup as just like this player who will get you settled, get you going into your offense, plays reliable defense. Um, It's good to see that those kind of skills were not overlooked uh, on either list. 
Yeah, 100%. I think your squad was pretty well represented. I was proud of our starting 11s, especially when I saw Bunny Shaw rank so high, just because I think on the Guardians list last year, she was a she was a good bit lower. Yeah. And, you know, she wasn't on FIFA Pro's list. So I'm just kind of like, damn, am I like off base here going with Bunny Shaw as, as one of my starting 11? But seeing her, yeah, ranked 24 and 32 on ESPN's list. I felt great about that. I think we did pretty solid top to bottom. Our lowest ranked starting 11 player, according to the Guardian, was Aaron Cuthbert at number 57. And I don't know, man, give me 10 Aaron Cuthberts and I like my chances. 100% with you, man. We'll talk about her later. It's funny that I mentioned that about uh, Hasegawa. If you just think about Cuthbert's contributions to an attack-focused Chelsea team, she is so necessary back there and so integral to their dominance. And she's the captain of the squad. You know, obviously Millie Bright is is going through uh, an injury issue right now, and so the, the armband kind of got passed to Cuthbert. That's not an accident, though. Emma Hayes is is not out here drawing names out of a hat. Cuthbert is, I really think that she is pretty close to a world-class player. I was happy to see that she was on both of our World 11s. I think maybe the Guardian and ESPN, they need to catch up to us a little bit on the Cuthbert bandwagon. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, she should be you know, low 30s, maybe high 40s. Yeah. One other thing that did not go unnoticed, a little weird to see Kaide Diatu Diani come at number 12 on the Guardian's list, considering that's a higher ranking than the following names from this year's FIFA Pro World 11 list. You made the joke last week. You're like, come on, man, there can't be eight forwards <laughs> better than Diani. She's ranked 12th ahead of Alessia Russo, Alex Morgan, Jenny Hermoso, Ella Toon, Georgia Stanway, Claudia Pina, Irene Paredes, Ashley Lawrence, Amanda Illicet, Alex Greenwood, Lucy Bronze, and Olga Carmona, who all made the FIFA Pro list, all ranked behind yep. number 12th. Kari Diatu Diani, put some respect on Diani's name already. Got to. I mean, we saw it in the World Cup. Her ability on the ball, her ability to score from wherever, to make genius passes in the final third. I mean, Diani is just, yeah, I guess I'd be repeating myself. There aren't eight strikers better than her. (laughs) I cannot be convinced of that. And let me, because we care about journalism, I made a pretty ugly mistake. And I was kind of blaming FIFA for this FIFA pro list. And let me tell you why this one hurts, buddy. Because I had a misunderstanding. I thought it was FIFA in conjunction with FIFA Pro. FIFA Pro is the organization that works with and, and kind of organizes all the players associations from the different leagues. And so for the FIFA Pro list, this list is made and voted on by other professional footballers. And the reason this is embarrassing for me to say this is an oversight when I'm blaming FIFA I'm a union guy, and these are these are the players' unions, <laughs> members of the fucking players' unions voting on these, and it like dawned on me, and I was like, oh my god, I'm a unionist blaming a company for union members' votes, and I just kind of felt a little dopey about it. So let me raise my hand and say, my bad, FIFA Pro, my bad to the players. I will say one thing that I think a lot of American sports fans or just American sports pundits get wrong is when a player says something they don't like. They just go, well, he's not that good of a player. Or he doesn't know anything. That's such a stupid way to approach this. I think Dino and I are probably pretty aligned. I obviously respect the opinions of these players. Uh, they do something that I could never do, do something way better. I just don't agree. So uh, I, I stand by that I don't love some of the choices of the FIFA Pro list. It doesn't mean the people who voted don't know what they're talking about. Still not a great list. No, I don't think it's a great list. You know. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> You know, why right, FIFA didn't mess this one up. They messed up a bunch of stuff before. We keep it moving. We appreciate the correction, the self-correction. You know, 
takes a big man to be able to do that, even though I'm not sure I know who you are anymore, just <laughs> being in a so staunchly anti-union. <laughs> just, uh, crazy, yeah. What? Yeah, it was a horrifying realization by me. All good, all good. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure our audience will forgive. My last major quibble, major, major quibble, no Leia Schuler. 26 years old. She was number 41 on last year's Guardian list. 94 career goals in 151 career Frauen Bundesliga matches. 22 matches last season, she notched 14 goals, three assists. In nine matches this season, another three goals, another three assists. And she's keeping her Bayern team definitely in the mix in the UEFA Women's Champions League, Group C, Group of Life. She was a terror. She's firing shots all over the place. She hasn't gotten lucky to a high, high degree just yet in the group stage, but she just looks so super live. I'm not sure how she's not one of the 100 best players in the world. And then you look at her production on the German national team in 44 career appearances. She's got 30 goals. I don't know, man. If you're telling me she's not in that top 100, I, I don't think I could be friends with you. I just I just can't. <laughs> I think you nailed it. It's the weirdest omission that I notice. Like, what are we talking about here? Like, shit, top 100? Certainly in the top 100. No chance. No chance I don't think she's in the top 75. I feel like it had to be an error, especially considering <laughs> she was 41 last year. Like, nothing happened. You know, okay, yeah. She's not averaging a goal per game, but, I mean, she still looks super dangerous. She was still is playing really great. Yeah. We're not going to hold that against them. Definitely enjoyed the exercise of reviewing both lists. And at the end of the day, it's great to see just more exposure for the women's game, people talking about it. That's what posts like these really do is just kind of get our brains going. They get circulated across the internet and that helps raise the water level pretty much globally, which is very exciting. Yeah, totally agree. And uh, if I could cape up for one player here, I'm going to cape up for Carolyn of the North Carolina Courage, a 23-year-old Brazilian striker. She was the 2023 NWSL MVP. She's number 31 on ESPN's list. She's number 39 on the Guardian's list. That felt a little low for the NWSL MVP. I'll just give like a, a quick personal anecdote. The Courage played in Seattle on October 1st. It was a draw 1-1. Carolyn scored the equalizer in that match. She was playing on the right wing. I was seated on that side. I was about two rows back near midfield. I saw a lot of her action from Jump Street. She is a terror. She is so fast, so smart. I think about seven minutes into the match, uh, my wife Jennifer looked at me and she goes, oh, she's way faster than our defenders. And I was like, yeah, it looks like it. And that equalizer she scored, it was uh, her 10th goal of the season. She was second in the golden boot race in the NWSL on her way to winning MVP. Unfortunately, this does serve as a reminder that she did suffer an ACL injury in her final match of the NWSL season on October 15th. So we're going to have to wait a while to see her get back. I think her position on this list was probably hurt a little by the fact that Brazil didn't make it out of the group stage, but she was super crucial to the Courage winning the NWSL Challenge Cup trophy. Uh, she scored the match winner in that final. And so I expect her to make this list many times over throughout her career. And of course, I think I'll, I'll comfortably speak for all football fans when, you know, we wish her a, a full and speedy recovery. And then we can we can watch her play and watch her, her dazzling skill once again. Definitely wishing her a, a speedy recovery. She's pretty exciting in the World Cup, I would say. And I think oh, yeah. that World Cup argument is a little bit unfair because Germany was very well represented at the top of these lists. They didn't make it out of the group stage. Um, and somebody on YouTube left us a comment with regards to there might not be a German side that makes the Champions League quarterfinals, pretty much down to Frankfurt and, and uh, Bayern. So 
if if neither of those two make it, and obviously the, the early exit from the World Cup, France is knocking on the door. You know, we're going to talk about things happening in their domestic league here in a second. But yeah, it, it's pretty wild to imagine that, you know, France might be leapfrogging them. And then they've obviously got the Olympics coming up. They're taking place in Paris. So we'll keep an eye on that. We know most American sports fans have 24-7 access to wall-to-wall coverage about the NFL and NBA drafts. But that kind of media imprint has never existed for the NWSL draft. And we've got someone who's here to change all of that. I know Grant and I both utilize the research and in-depth coverage afforded to us by the soccer dossier. There's a great draft recap up on the site right now that details how accurate this year's dossier was in predicting who'd be selected in the 2024 NWSL draft. So we welcome founder, editor-in-chief, all the above, head honcho of the really great, super informative (laughs) website on all things NWSL draft, our very, very first guest the history of the Into the Channel pod, Mr. Christopher Garish. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. All right. Excellent. So let's just get right into it, man, because I thought it was interesting to watch. We get to see all the clips of these different players in college. I'd like us to kind of start with the top of the draft. In our last episode of Into the Channel, we talked about a really high hit rate, it feels like, for like number one picks. Previous number ones like Crystal Dunn, Rose Lavelle, Sophia Smith, Naomi Gurma. Who should we be looking at at the top of this year's draft, Christopher, as kind of like a potential club transforming player or maybe even an MVP level player in the future? Sure. I mean, I think uh, the top of this draft was very good. We had, I think it was three or four players declare early this year, which is not a usual thing. It's not the NFL or the NBA, right, where everybody in the NBA draft is like 19 and you come out. And if you're a senior, that means you're not good, right? Um, so like that, <laughs> that's not the case in the NWSL. So if you're, if you're declaring early, it means that you're probably going to get picked very early. Um, so we had that at the top of this draft, uh, Ali Sentinel went first, Savvy King went second, both players who declared early from, from North Carolina. I, I think it's a little too early to know if anybody's going to be an MVP or any of that kind of stuff. Um, but I think if I had to pick somebody who had a chance, I'm, I'm picking Croy Bethune. Um, she went third overall, some injury history in college. But overall, there's a lot of stuff to like about her. Uh, she's great on the ball. She can score. She's a very technical passer and just somebody who's very comfortable when you watch her on the uh, pitch. Corey Bethune, where was she in your mock draft? I feel like she was pretty high. I think she went third. I think she went where she actually went, which is fun. Nice. Had that one pegged. Yeah. Uh, any, <laughs> anybody, that, uh, anybody that she reminds you of in, in today's game? I think if we were going to pick somebody, it, it might be she's an attacking midfielder. So if you're going to go, you know, good attacking midfielders, you're going to pick Rose Lavelle or uh, somebody of that nature. Not a huge comparison guy because everybody's different, right? Everybody has different stuff. But if you're going to pick a, a name to be associated with, I think that'd be a good one. Sure, and we will not hold you to these. There will not be freezing cold tweets <laughs> two years from now. I'll be like, why well, is your There will be. Like, there will be. <laughs> <laughs> if you put anything on record, it will it'll come back to you. All right. Well, audience, take it easy on Christopher. He's a guy. <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> come on, give the guy a break. <laughs> um, what about uh, at the very top, Ali Sentner, who went one? Anybody that she reminds you of? I'm not sure. I don't know. She's you know can play attacking midfielder. She can play forward. Um, she scored a lot of goals at North Carolina. She had a lot of assists at North Carolina. I think she had 11 goals and 11 assists last year. Somebody can fact check me, but. Somebody who can do both of those things is very valuable, right? So Utah got got a good pick with the first first, first overall pick there. When we look at a defender like Savvy King uh, and her going so high, 
you know, obviously Bay FC, they're starting things out, right? They're an expansion franchise. What do you like about Savvy King's game that could at least have Bay FC view her as like a cornerstone type of player? I think it's interesting looking at her and looking at Macy Bell, who went 14th overall. Macy Bell is like a more prototypical center back. She's like six feet tall. She's great in the air, all that kind of stuff. And Savvy King is like four years younger. So that's something already that you're looking at, right? You're saying, hey, this this person's, you know, got a lot of youth national team experience already, just like Ali Sentinel does. Macy Bell also, also has that. But Savvy King's just a, a hardworking player and good tackler. And she's younger than everybody else in this draft class. So I think that's one of the things that put her up at the top. You mentioned that at the top, like, you know, this is not your typical like one and done situation for, for these footballers. Is it just as simple as, I guess in Bay FC's case, we're an expansion franchise. We're not expected to be good right away. Let's take kind of like a long view at these things. Or were there more younger players taken in the other, in the later rounds as well? Uh, no. So I think we had three. So Ali Sentinor, Savvy King, and then Ali Lemos all declared and they all went in the first round. That's typically what you see. I don't, uh, really know the process for these players when they're when they're coming out and being like, hey, should I come out early? Will I get drafted? That sort of thing. Um, or if you're like, you know, Corbin Albert, who's just like a sophomore at Notre Dame and she went to PSG. I don't know the process there, but like typically we've seen in the past, if you're not a senior and you're in the draft, you're going in the first round. That's what happens. So uh, whether it's the the youth component or just that you have to be that good, teams see that and you're, you're gone in the first round. So it kind of seems like if you are ahead of schedule, you're probably on that top European club path, or you say, I'm going to kind of hold out and I'm going to declare for the NWSL draft as yeah. an underclassman. And I feel pretty good about where I'm going to go because I've got this other offer. And that's a, that's another kind of like stamp of approval from elsewhere. Right. So like on the site, I track a couple things. And one of the markers that I track is, is playing time as a freshman. And so if you're playing a lot as a freshman, uh, it's usually a good indicator of like, oh, you'll you'll be playing a lot later and you're playing against people who are older than you and maybe more physically, not better, but just like stronger because they're older. They have more years of coaching and training and all that kind of stuff, right? So if you can hold your own earlier, then you're going to be against better players and you're going to be better later. I did some writing for American football a while ago and it's from college to pro stuff. And one of the one of the markers of like, hey, somebody who's transitioning well is a lot of freshman playing time. That's a thing. So I use that for this site as well. Interesting. And you've been at Soccer Dossier for at least a few years now, right? So some of the seniors that have gotten drafted, I imagine you've they've been on your radar for a little bit. Yeah, the, the whole COVID thing really kind of threw a wrench in some stuff. So now we have super seniors and fifth year seniors and fourth year seniors and a whole bunch of stuff, right? But yeah, some of like Kribathun or Maya Doms have been in the mock drafts for two years now. In that time, has, I mean, aside from your site, have you seen like a proliferation of some information in terms of like, I mean, you mentioned like you're not, you don't have like a total insight into how these teams are drafting, but is the world of NWSL draft information, has it been expanding over the past few years? For sure. Uh, so when I started this site, like uh, I think this is my third year. So three, three-ish years ago, I did it because there just wasn't really any information available. Like I'm used to, you know, the NBA or the NFL where you can just like look at a mock draft for like two years from now and um, that kind of stuff. So I was like, where's anything? And I couldn't find anything. So I watched my first NWSL draft, which was the 2020 Sophia Smith draft. 
and I wanted to like get any information before that, and I, I couldn't. So after that draft, for some reason, I reached out to like the panelists, uh, Lori Lindsay and Jen Cooper, and I sent Jen Cooper an email, and I was just like, I have a thousand questions. Would you be cool enough to answer <laughs> any of them? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, first of all, insane that I would get a response, right? Like if I emailed Mel Kuyper, I wouldn't get like a, a nice <laughs> response back, I don't think. I don't know. I don't know anything about Mel Kuyper, but... It was crazy to me that like this community already was very welcoming, right? So I talked to Jen for a little bit, and then I was like, I bet I could, I don't know, do some stuff uh, with some numbers and throw some stuff together. And so I did that, and I just did it on the internet so I could hold myself accountable and hopefully provide some stuff. I didn't know if it was going to be a huge uh, flop, you know, if it was the stuff I was putting out there was going to work at all. But it's just gotten better over time, so that's that's nice. That it has, you know, Grant and I similar origin story. You know, we're like. Where are the two American bros talking about women's football? Just mm-hmm. couldn't find it. <laughs> exactly. and we're like, you know what? Let's go. Dust off the mic and we're ready. That's right. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, we're doing the Lord's work over here, obviously. Um, so I guess I didn't I didn't like actually answer that question though. So let me I'll answer the question. Like, yes, I have seen more people like there's more mock drafts now, right? I saw a couple this year. It was great. I know uh, Chris Henderson exists. I, I don't I try not to follow him on anything. Because I feel like it would like taint my results, and I don't want other stuff in there, right? So um, <laughs> I'll look at his stuff like after the draft, but I, I try not to look at other things before the draft because I don't want to be biased towards anything. You guys are on good terms, though, right? I have never talked to him. Okay, so not on bad terms. I don't, yeah, not on bad terms. I don't know him. Okay, we're both yeah, names. We both have Chris names. I feel like we should be friends, but I don't know. Him. <laughs> All right, excellent. See now, now into the channel, we're doing some reporting. No beef between Christopher and <laughs> yeah, there you go. And Chris Anderson. All right, excellent. Got to breaking news. <laughs> so one thing I think is interesting, and you talk about like the past three years, and you know, you feel like you're starting to pinpoint some stuff. Like I, I noticed. Well, you talk about holding yourself accountable. I liked in your recap article. You have like graphs. Like there is like data in this article about the dossier and kind of who's getting picked. So this is the opportunity, Christopher, please. Can you flex a little bit? Because I thought it was super impressive, the amount, the number of players in each round that you were nailing. Can you let the audience know like how many you're getting <laughs> correct uh, in these rounds? Sure. I think the first round, I only missed out on the three early declares, and that's something that I'm going to have to look into next year and the following years. I don't necessarily have a plan for that because I can't just go through every team and be like, who could do this? I, it's, I already go through every team page as it is, so it's it's hard to add more players to that. But yeah, just, just missed out on the three early declares for the first round. Only missed two players in the second round, two players in the third round, and then seven players in the fourth round. The fourth round kills me every year. The fourth round's got to be super tough, though, right? Because, I mean, people are taking flyers. I know my club, OL Rain, kind of reached for... I don't want to call it a reach because I don't want to act like I know anything about McKenna Carr's history. But like yeah. you could tell the analysts on the broadcast were like, oh, OK, I guess that makes sense. Like she played at University of Washington. But I got to think mm-hmm. teams are kind of like really deep in the scouting roles at that point that late in the draft. Yeah, I didn't know a whole lot about McKenna Carr either. So I wouldn't have been helpful on air. But um, <laughs> yeah, she wasn't. She was definitely one of the seven. Even the first couple rounds, they were players drafted that didn't have like highlights packages or like age details you could tell the difference through the the draft cards on the main telecast for sure it's gotten a lot better though like when i 
first started doing stuff a couple of years ago, there there like wasn't highlights. Everybody was talking about like team needs and not less necessarily like what the player is good at or like who the player is or any of that kind of stuff. So it was one of the first questions I asked was just like, hey, how come there's not like there wasn't a big board? Like there was nothing. And I was like, it's, it'd be helpful if there was like anything that a person watching could like look at and, and know like, hey, who would my team want if they needed a box-to-box midfielder or whatever but now now they have a big board there's there's highlights for some players uh it's it's way better than it than it was a couple years ago so very grateful for that yeah still some work to do nwsl 2025 draft to the powers that be let's get mr christopher garish you know a list of those early declares just so (laughs) i mean come on you're sending them to the teams the teams know who's available help us out out here it's it's crazy that the draft registration list is two days before the draft. So it's <laughs> like I that's why I try to put this thing out because it's like oh let's put a list out in you know November and that gives you a couple months if you're like trying to do content or whatever you're trying to do for the draft and that's that's helpful but like <laughs> two days before is kind of rough. Did you have anybody reach out to you from the league or from teams or at the scouting level? Uh, no, I, I've talked to some agents, um, but in terms of of teams or, or league, no. That's badass though. That's yeah. super cool. I've already asked you hacky sports radio question. Who could be a potential MVP? So let me do another one. <laughs> Great. So we have uh, a pretty solid listener viewer base over in the Nordics, over in Europe. And so I'm going to maybe over explain a little bit for our pals over there. In American sports, when you have a draft system, players who are taken later in the draft, we often use the term sleepers to describe those people. That's somebody who you may not think is going to be an excellent player, and they might end up kind of bubbling up uh, comparatively to other players who may have been selected before them. So I have to ask the question, Christopher, you got any sleepers? Are there anybody in that second (laughs) round, anybody in that third round who you kind of look at and say, now this is the type of player who might be able to walk in and have a pretty big impact on their squad? For sure. It was very surprising to me that Felicia Knox went in the third round. She was somebody that we'd mocked in the first. She's somebody who has a lot of youth national team experience, and that's not usually something that lasts in these drafts. Um, those players are already scouted a little bit for you, right? If you're, you've been on a youth national team for, you know, you're playing the U-17s, the U-20s, and the U-23s, that's already somebody that's somebody else has been like, here's a stamp of approval for this player. So those are players that usually go earlier. She has that. She's been multiple-time All-American in Alabama. She had 20 assists in her junior year, right? Just like somebody who's... Yeah. Very good. And to go in the third round is kind of crazy. So whether that happened naturally or she was just like, hey, I want to go to Angel City. And that was their first pick. Uh, I, I don't know. But like that was a big sleeper. Every year we have players who are not American fall because I don't know if you need international slots on players. And typically teams want to use those unestablished people that they're bringing in that can really uh, make an impact right away. Right. So we'll get like a a couple Canadians in the third round or the fourth round every year. Um, Zoe Burns, Amanda West, Maya Jones. Any of those players typically fall because they're, you know, not American, not because they're bad at soccer. So keep an eye on those. And I think those are some good ones. Nice. Good looking out. Which club do you think took home the best haul of players? So obviously we saw a lot of players drafted. We saw some trades, combination of the two. To bar a little NFL, NBA parlance, who gets the A-plus from Soccer Dossier? <laughs> Um, I think either expansion team did really well. Washington did really well. I know they had a lot of trades that went into this as well. They don't have Ashley Sanchez anymore, but they have Corey Bethune now, so that's pretty cool. I don't know if that was like a salary thing or what, but they got a kind of a direct replacement there, so that's that's nice. But yeah, I'd say either of the expansion teams um, did a great job, and uh, Washington also very good. So 
Dino's wearing his Orlando Pride shirt. Uh, he's obviously based in the lovely state of Florida. I am up here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, right in Seattle. So nice. totally kind of myopic Homer question here. Um, <laughs> you know, the rain, They, I think it was 125000 in allocation money for Sam Meza. What are your thoughts, if, if I may ask? Sure. Sam Meza is good. This is a very strong attacking midfield class. Um, so Sam, Sam Mesa is definitely one of those top tier players. You lost Rose, so that's a bummer. Mm-hmm. Um, and nobody's going to be a direct replacement for a senior team national player, right? National team player, right? But um, Sam Mesa is very good. Has youth national team experience. Can try to play where Rose was. Excellent. How about Dino's pride? We got Ali Lemos in the first round. You so go. you're great. You're good. That's good. Prodigy. Um, Corey, Corey Dyke, Big Ten Defender of the Year. Great pick in the second round. All right, so we nailed our first two rounds. You heard it here. A pluses for AFC. For both you guys. <laughs> Washington, Orlando Pride throws. <laughs> Let's go. Everybody. Great. Honestly, like overall, pretty good draft for most of the teams. It was a solid draft class. Nobody was like making a crazy reach for anybody, at least in my opinion. So overall, like a pretty well-run draft overall. Kansas City took two goalkeepers. Uh, if I was going to say something weird, I'd be like, Kansas City, I don't know if we need to draft two goalkeepers, but I don't know what's going on over there. Kansas City making uh, maybe some questionable decisions up and down the organization. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll leave that one where it is. Maybe that one doesn't, maybe that one doesn't make the show. That's more yeah. personal. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, this has been an incredibly informative interview and we appreciate you being so generous with your time christopher if you're interested in the future of the nwsl who's going to get drafted where they're going to go 2025 and beyond look no further our guy mr christopher garish he's all over it soccer dossier is a must follow on x at soccer dossier and check out the website soccer christopher thanks again man for joining us please remind everyone what we can expect from soccer dossier into the future um i think in a couple months i should have like a pre preseason dossier out. i did it last year um, i think i put it out in march or something the hit rate was not great this year i think it was like somewhere around 50 percent of the players in the draft were on that list but that's something i'll be looking into as well so maybe in a couple months uh that'll be out the draft recap is up right now if you want to see how the dossiers performed there are some fun graphs and stuff that's usually my favorite uh, one of my favorite things to do but in terms of content it's kind of over for me now. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to go to sleep. I'm, I'm good now. Well earned, though, man. And I'll say, you know, I appreciate a man who holds himself to a high standard. I would think preseason still getting 50%. I think that sounds pretty good, but it sounds like you're pl- you're playing up here, high-level stuff. So I, I don't blame you for holding yourself to that standard. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Mel, Mel Kuyper's 1.0. He's well under 50, so throw it Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Thanks again, Christopher. Yeah, no problem. But I did want to scoot ahead. Had a pretty fun match this week. Couple of Champions Leaguers. Lyon hosted Paris FC. Paris FC was super stingy on defense. Love, love, love to see that. They played great. Shout out to 21-year-old defender, Uld Hossein Selina. She's the defender with the red hair for Paris FC, who was fucking everywhere. (laughs) She was ready. She had a monster game. But Lyon is just good, man. Even taking Paris FC's best shot, they were still better than Paris FC by one goal. One Wendy Renard, one Caridato Diani, one Melchi Dumornay, one Delphine Cascarino, and one Vicky Becho. None of them who (laughs) who played. So those omissions from the lineup due to just kind of either rest or just injury kind of made it somewhat of a fair fight. But even then, Lyon found a way to kind of sneak this one out. Cracking another beer for this one, buddy, because this 
This is what the fuck I'm talking about when I said football is back. That was a good match. Paris FC, they understood that they needed to come in there and play some underdog football, but not scared underdog football. That was one of my big takeaways. I'm so glad you mentioned Hossein. She's a fucking bulldog back there. And she has been throughout the Champions League. Full body slide tackles. She's throwing herself in front of shots. There was one mention in my notes here. Hossein goes after a corner kick and just gets dumped by Le Samer, who probably has, a, or who does have a significant size advantage over her. I'll say Hossein, pretty slight frame for a center back. Doesn't matter. Size of the fight and the dog. That's how she's out there playing. And I would say... She's out there playing 100 miles per hour or maybe to adjust for the Europeans, uh, 161 kilometers per hour <laughs> is her speed on the pitch constantly. Just crucial interventions and especially crucial one late in the match as well. So just cannot say enough about Hossein. Yeah, I mean, she plays big too. Like she doesn't she does. get bullied, which you'd love to see. I thought Ellie Carpenter for Lyon, she was cooking out there. I mean, Always she good. was just fl- flying up and down the field. I mean, she just looked like she was on a different speed. Salma Basha, you know, not breaking news here. You know, I love when we get to see uh, Leon play Basha ball. Yep. She just plays end line to end line. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, if the ball's on her side of the field, she's like, ah, I got it, I got it. Like, <laughs> she just finds a way to the ball. She just has it. Always. She's just like a, like a point guard that has like a super high usage rate. She's unbelievable. I kind of felt a little tinge of uh, regret not maybe even having her in my starting 11, finding a way to kind of work her in because she's just so yep. unbelievable. So shout out to her. Totally with you. I mean, you think about all the genius passers and distributors that Lyon have. In the first 10 minutes of that match, they're playing through Basha to initiate the offense in the attacking third. And she's a left back. Like that is that yeah. is such a testament to what a wonderful passer she is. And so thinking about the pace of the game, I don't want it to turn it all into a Leon love fest. Uh, I know you got a, a ton of players on uh, Perry FC that, that you enjoy. In my notes, I jotted down, I felt like the last eight to 10 minutes of the first half really did belong to Paris. Ribadera had a shot on goal off the counter. Well, it was going to be a shot on goal. It gets deflected out of play for a corner at the death of the half. Oh, yeah. So Ribadera hits it. It goes out. It's for a corner. We're at 45 plus two, and the ref blows the half dead. Ribadera is irate, and I think rightfully so. I think that is a horseshit way to end the half. I do understand it's like, okay, we play for a scheduled additional two minutes. But I just won a corner kick. I feel like you got to get me that. I, I'm not sure where you land on this. Well, I mean, if you ever have a chance to take away a potential exciting play, <laughs> you got to do it. If you're the ref, yeah. <laughs> we're here for the ref show. It's just so terrible. But I, and I feel like 99 times out of 100, maybe 100 out of 100, when that happens, we get to see the corner. Like it- it's kind of understood that it's like, okay – the corner will come in, and then as soon as you know that sequence of play comes to an end, then the half's over. But you mean to tell me that, like, while the ball was in the air, the, the two minutes and eleven seconds or whatever elapsed, and you know we're going to stick to it to that degree? Kind of lame. I didn't like that at all. Um, I thought Inadozi in goal had a great showing. Oh, She's great. just talk about a, a tinge of a regret. I was like, eh, you know, I'm happy with Musevich, uh, and I think they were pretty close in the Guardians list as well. So got some validation there. But um, Inadozi's just so good. The announcer mentioned, too, that she grew up playing forward and I think came up to the same academy as uh, Asta Ashwala in Nigeria, which makes a ton of sense. Yep. She had a great game, but it was one of her free kicks that went all the way out almost to uh, midfield. 
found the head of Damaris Agarola, who somehow got an unbelievable <laughs> header that you know flew 25 yards in the air. I think it was intended for Lindsay Horan, maybe, and it was just kind of out of her reach. Finds Ada Hegeberg. She gets a knee on it. Just perfect whip around. And just a shot that just doesn't feel like humans should be allowed to make <laughs> make a yeah. shot like that. She hits it, and you talk about it in a dozy. I totally agree. Shout out to Cam Pope, who was calling that match. I thought that was an awesome uh, bit of information that he had dropped. And it's funny, like, not to act like I, I have any real knowledge here, but I think we had talked about a few weeks ago. Every time I watch her play, I'm like, she could be an outfield player. I'm almost certain that she could. So when, when Pope dropped that, I was like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. And in a dozy on the Hegeberg shot, full extension, great dive. There's just nothing you can do when Hegeberg hits a strike like that. And so yeah. the Norwegian legend does it again. Who can be surprised? But great effort from in a dozy and a great effort from Perry FC to see that one go in on that shot. It's heartbreaking because if you can pull a draw out of that, you feel great. And I know pro athletes do not take moral victories. As somebody who appreciates Perry FC, I can take a little bit of a moral victory out of this, I think. I agree with that. I mean, they definitely came to play and they definitely gave them a game. And if I'm not sure yeah. if you noticed, but at the final whistle, there was at least three or four Leon players that just crumpled to the floor. Absolutely. <laughs> I was Absolutely. like, I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> yes. They went through it. Um, yep. I mentioned Damaris Agarola, who got the ball into Hegerberg on that play. A few minutes earlier, she committed a pretty obvious foul in the box on Lu- Luna Ribadera, <laughs> who we mentioned, who yes. just kind of just got tough breaks. That one went uncalled. Not entirely sure why. In that moment, though, when we saw the no call, it kind of felt like a backbreaker for pre-FC. They should have got a yeah. penalty kick. And now at that point, you got to kind of emotionally overcome being down one goal because you're like, we should yeah. be up in this fucking match. Yep. So you almost have to kind of win by two goals in, the, in that instance to make it up. And I think sometimes emotionally that takes a big toll. I think a few minutes later, they give up the goal to Hagerberg. What are you going to do? Good showing from them. Obviously, they're still alive in the league. They're still alive in Champions League. So pretty excited to see what they've still got left in the tank. Yeah, you know, I mean, they brought on Julie DeFore in the 88th minute for some extra boost, a last-ditch attacking. It's a heartbreaker, but I do think, I hope their manager comes to them and says, we worked them. I know the possession ended up being close to 60-40, somewhere in that ballpark, I believe. But they played, I'll say it again, they played not scared underdog football. They tried to string together passes where they could, and they could in some stretches. And so I think they should take a lot from that and take that into the Champions League and say, we're alive in this thing, and we've played well in the Champions League. That is one thing about international football that I would love to talk to some of these footballers and some of these managers about. Like we look at, I'm going to switch to the men's side real quick. Last season, West Ham kind of getting their asses kicked in the Premier League for good stretches. And they go and they win the Europa Conference League. You know, their fans, they do like the cheeky chant of champions of Europe. We know who we are and all that stuff. But you know what? They won a fucking trophy. And in that competition, they were blasting dudes. And so, like, I wonder for Perry FC if it's like, okay, that was a Champions League match that we played against Leon in our league. And we were right there. So I'm really, really curious to see how how they carry that back into the competition. I think they're definitely going to carry that momentum forward. Kind of excited to see that Pre FC one point behind Hacken in Group D, but you know they've got a game against Hacken coming up here. So essentially, they control their own destiny in that tournament. They're obviously way, way live in Group D in the Champions League. Chelsea is on eight points. Hacken's on seven. Pre FC is on six. Pre FC plays both of those teams. 
So they could still win yeah. this group. And obviously, like giving Leon that kind of match. And, you know, you mentioned the possession battle, which I thought was interesting. Didn't feel like a 60-40 game. That's true. And then the last note there, um, our guy Cam Pope called it out, Killer Cam. He was like, you know, nothing to sneeze at that they kept Leon off the board in the first 10 minutes. Because we've commented on this pod that it feels like Leon in the first 10, it's already 1-0, like at least. So shout out to Pre-FC for pretty much almost stealing this one. And I think a little bit more than a moral victory because, again, they could look at that penalty kick that nine times out of 10 is a penalty kick. They lost the corner before halftime. At worst, they probably feel like we were even. We should have walked away from this one with at least a point. Absolutely. And to your point, if they get that penalty call and they're up 1-0, we could have won this football game. They should feel as great as professional athletes could feel after a loss. And I think it's at that point, it's up to your leaders and your coaches to be like, hey, look, like, yeah, we didn't get it done. The result is the result. So we got to do better there. But we are there. We played at that level. Them versus Hacken on January 24th. That's a football game, Bubba. Let's go. That's must watch. <laughs> Let's go. Oh, man. Talk about my heart being in two places. Let's scoot ahead, though. Chelsea, West Ham. Chelsea hosts the Hammers. What'd you see in that one? Tough spot for West Ham. They are in the throes of a relegation battle uh, in the WSL. You know, lucky draw in the FA Cup. Oh, I get to go up against the juggernaut of the league. Isn't that wonderful? One of the things that stuck out to me, into the channel favorite, Lauren James, from the opening whistle, she'll have a go. Why not? If she's at, 20, she's at 25 yards out, that's fine. She's at 27 yards out, that's fine. She's going to take her shots. And I just think, like we talk about Leon scoring early, there's got to be something about a side where it's like, okay, Lauren James is coming at me. Oh, and she's already firing shots three minutes into the match. That's fantastic. Surely we can withstand this for the the remaining 87 minutes of this football (laughs) game. But credit to those fighting hammers. Let's go. Ball over the top into French striker Vivian Asai, who collects it with one good touch, gets forward with another good touch, and then hits a spinning low shot, kind of like across the goal. And Musevic, she's in your starting 11. She's a destroyer of worlds back there at goalkeeper. She's one of the best goalkeepers in the world. She looked completely fooled by this shot. It was such a clever way to kind of spin it in across the goal. 18 minutes in, West Ham up 1-0 at Chelsea. And even the announcers were like, oh, Okay, we have a game here. I mean, it wasn't just the announcer. Asai herself, she was just like, <laughs> "All right, we're all right. Here we go." <laughs> that was awesome. Which was awesome. Asai gets behind Khadija Buchanan on that play, and that was really where the play gets broken open. Yep. Announcer mentioned the goal is totally against the run of play. I think everybody was surprised, but shout out to her. Great finish. Great effort. Winning the ball in the first place, beating the defender from sort of a disadvantaged position, and yeah, yep. we definitely had ourselves a game. Yeah, and so Chelsea, they're obviously going to answer in kind. They are a team full of mentality monsters who are just going to go straight ahead. We're running at goal. I got to tell you, something that doesn't seem enjoyable for any set of defenders is when Ashley Lawrence, uh, Chelsea defender, kind of starts to push up. And now you just have a revolving game of triangles and one-twos between Ashley Lawrence, Lauren James, and Guro Wright. And then, oh, by the way, Fran Kirby's in the middle waiting to receive a pass just in case. That just doesn't seem like a great time for any defender. But West Ham played their version of underdog football, and they did it well. They stayed really compact. I mean, their ability to have eight players in their own 18 when they needed it was pretty indicative of what had to be the game plan going into the match. 
Um, and I thought they did it well. Chelsea ended up making three changes at the 59th minute, which I think was Emma Hayes kind of uh, maybe sending a message to everybody with me official coming on for the aforementioned Fran Kirby, which is a great luxury to have. It's like, oh, thank God Fran Kirby's going off the field. Here comes me official. <laughs> um, and you got to wonder, man, Sam Kerr, devastating injury. That sucks. It's a loss for all of us. It's also an opportunity for the young American me official to come out there and be a true number nine for that squad. And what do you know, as we get into the match, me official would play a role there. She played a role. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Safe to say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was definitely interested to see no Sam Kerr, kind of like what uh, Emma Hayes had tactically. And yeah, bringing Fischl on. And then again, shout out to uh, Joanna Canaroon, who Always. is also just a menace out there. Like she's Always. got the ball and you're just on your heels. You know, she puts in the sweet ball right to Fischl. Fischl controls, turns, strikes. I mean, just everything. 10, 10, 10, 10, 10 equalizes. And now we're tied at one. The U.S. Women's National Team fan in me lights up at that moment just because I'm like, OK. Here we go. It's definitely happening. And it's happening under the tutelage of Emma Hayes, which you got to imagine there's going to be a little carryover from that. So very exciting times for uh, U.S. Women's National Team fans. I like that you describe it as like the positioning, the ability to bring the ball down, the turn and the hit all 10, 10, 10. The poise to do those things, the poise and the patience when you know defenders are they have to be converging on you in that moment at her young age to be able to do that and then. On top of all of that, the physicality to keep the defender off you while you're doing that. And I mean, she is just, she is an elite, elite prospect. I think that goes without saying like, and she's probably past prospect. I'm only using the term prospect because she's so young, but Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, I love a good overreaction. I say it all the time (laughs) on this podcast, man. But if that is somebody that the U.S. Women's National Team is cycling in as their number nine, there are decisions that have to be made when you have both Sophia Smith and Mia Fischel. You have to figure out a way to get those players players on the field because Fischl looks like the real deal, man. What makes Fischl so interesting when you think about the international game, and you mentioned it, West Ham had that entire fucking area packed. Yeah. It felt like the pass from Canterbury to Fischl went through five or six or seven defenders uh, before it found Fischl. And for just her to just be able to like smash it home amongst all that chaos, that is what international play is like, especially for teams going up against the U.S. You know, like I love Sophia Smith, but her game is a little bit more finesse. She is going to sure. benefit from having some of the extra space. And, you know, sometimes when you're facing a team in an international tournament that feels like they're at a disadvantage, that space is just not going to be there. So a player like Fischl, incredibly valuable to a squad. I always try to limit the Manchester City references. If you can figure out a way to play Erling Holland and Julian Alvarez at the same time, then Emma Hayes should figure out a way to play Mia Fischel and Sophia Smith at the same time. And we already talked about the coaching pedigree. She's going to figure out a way to do it. 100%. Very much looking forward to that. Um, but this one wasn't done. We're still at 1-1. What'd you see from here? I got very excited about Mia Fischel. I mean, it's hard to say. Like, we get to watch <laughs> her a lot. Even even with me being a Lionesses fan uh, for a long time. Well, a three Lions and Lionesses fan for a long time. Hard to not get excited. We're going to see a lot of the U.S. women's national team. I think when it gets to 1-1... It didn't even feel like West Ham really slumped the shoulders and kind of looked like they were doomed. I think they were still in it. Now, there was a lot of holding on for dear life, but I don't think it was a mentality thing. I think it was, frankly, a skill for skill, position for position type of thing. They hold on, 
And they got that thing to extra time. And I think that, you know, we're talking about moral victories uh, on this podcast. I think that's huge for West Ham. Again, I'll mention it. They're in a relegation battle. So to be able to have that in their back pocket, Christy Mewis, the Calvary's coming. She, She wasn't in the squad for this match, but she's showing up to kind of give them a little bit of a boost. They get the thing to extra time. Newskin plays a pass to, as you mentioned, Canna Rood, who doesn't do anything but serve perfect passes into the <laughs> six-yard box. And Canna Rood plays it absolutely perfect into the ironclad Scottish forehead of Captain Aaron Cuthbert. And that thing's going in every single time. It looked like the winner. It felt like the winner. It was the deserved winner at 101 minutes. It's hard to beat Chelsea. And you got to beat Chelsea when you play an extra 30 minutes of football. Tall task for anybody. Definitely shout out to West Ham. They definitely made this one a game. Was excited to see this one go to extra time. But you called it, man. Kenrude's pass onto um, that forehead. I mean, if there's (laughs) one forehead you want to put it on. That's the one. 100%. Um, just perfect. I mean, it, it kind of feels like Canner should also get credit for a goal. Her service in was just so so on the money. Yeah, man. And I still think West Ham didn't pack it in after that. I don't think they gave up. I think the mentality was still there. But four minutes later at uh, 105 minutes, Agnes Beaver-Jones, she plays in a chip that looks like it's going to be a goal. And Newskin is there to maybe the kind read of it is that she was there to make sure to tap it in. But in my read of it, uh, looks like she kind of poached a goal there. And I think she felt it too, because <laughs> as soon as she did it, she had that sheepish look on her face. And she like, she, I think she literally put her hands up and ran over to Agnes Beaver Jones. It was like, oh, yo, my bad. I'm, I, yeah, I stole that one from you. <laughs> Uh, which is just one of my favorite happenings in football. It's 3-1. If 2-1 wasn't already a wrap, which it felt like it was, there's no coming back from 3-1 in that spot. Yeah, that was that. Off to the round of 16 for Chelsea. So congrats to them. They're still alive, obviously, in the Women's Super League race, Champions League, and for the FA Cup. So they definitely got a lot to play for here. I wanted to give a quick shout out to my Lady Gunners as well. Also advanced to the round of 16. They had some FA Cup action going down today. They beat Watford 5-1. Emily Fox's first action as a Lady Gunner. They got goals from Amanda Illestet, Alessi Russos, Dina Blackstinius, Frida Monum, and Leah Vilti off a really slick Victoria Palova dummy. If you haven't seen that, go back and check it out. I don't know. For my money, Victoria Palova, she notches an assist in the official ITC record book on that one as well. 100%. I actually, it's so weird. I saw a video recently, I think it was like either yesterday or the day before. So before this match was played of a football coach talking about you're making the near post run. Unless you are free and clear, it is nearly impossible to get that perfect touch to tap it into the net. So unless you have that space, let it run. Let it run right mm-hmm. right through you and hope that your middle runner is going to be able to get it. And that's exactly what Pulova did. It was a genius play. Bonus points for letting it go through your legs to totally fool the defenders to totally like cuz when it goes when you let it go through your legs you freeze everybody on top of it because they think that you're setting up to hit it with your right foot so i thought it was a brilliant move i'm with you into the channel record books an assist for Pulova. notch it um <laughs> one more match i want to hit roma in uh, serie a femenil they top calcio 3-0 evelyn viennes wonderful strike from a bit of distance to get Rome on the board. Great to see her back in her scoring vibe. She's had some uh, 
some spotty performances in Champions League. And I think getting a goal like this early in a big match, perfect springboard for her to get her back into the mix. Laura Firesinger taps in a second for Roma, pinpoint assist from Lucia de Giulielmo, and Emily Javi ices it in the 53rd. 3-0 Roma, really nice win for them. Hopefully this kind of win gets them back on track heading back into Champions League action next week and the following week. They, again, are in that Group C group of life. They had a tough back-to-back stretch against PSG. They'll take on Bayern and Ajax to try to survive that group of life. So shout out to them. We'll keep an eye out for what kind of form they're in. I've missed Roma. It's good to see them play again. Quickly ascended to one of our favorite clubs to watch in the UEFA Women's Champions League. You nailed it. Awesome strike by Viennes. I love the way she set herself up to get the ball to her right foot to blast that into the net. I thought that was really great. And it's an interesting run of matches for them, too. They have a little club called Inter Milan on January 20th. Decent program they have over there. And so they go from that on January 20th right before their showdown with Bayern Munich in the Champions League on January 24th. So it'll be interesting to see how they kind of manage the players' health and their their time. But yeah, even if they are sitting at fourth place, in their group, Group C, as you say uh, accurately, the group of life, the group where everybody's goal differential is zero. They're two points behind PSG and they're three points behind Ajax, one point behind Bayern. And like you said, they get to play Bayern and Ajax. They have everything to play for. So super psyched to see them get back into some good form. Yeah, 100%. And yeah, shout out to Emanuele Giuliano, 74 on the Guardians top 100 list. No Valentina Giacinti. You know, mm, minor quibble, like minor minor baby quibble there. I don't like it. <laughs> Run up the flagpole. Let's, uh, let's get some of the editors on this. Hell yeah. All right, man. Anything else you want to hit before we get out of here? I do think there is one thing. I'm going to, again, maybe this is a little self-involved as a Lioness uh, supporter. We talked about Chelsea. Millie Bright once again did not appear in this match. And I do think there there's something to say. You know, they kind of have a little bit of a dogfight with West Ham and credit to West Ham. But now you're, you're down Sam Kerr and you've been down Millie Bright for a while. I don't think it's panic time. I think it's far from panic time if you're Chelsea. You have a deep squad, but they're going to need to have a deep squad with those two stars out. And so I want to hear your reaction to this quote from future U.S. Women's National Team, current Chelsea manager Emma Hayes, about Millie Bright. This is a couple days ago on Chelsea's official website. Quote, she's in rehab at the minute and working hard on that. I can't give a timeline for a return, as I've said many times over. She's in good spirits and she'll be back as soon as she humanly possibly can. I'm sure she'd put her boots on today if I asked. We just need to get it right for Millie's long-term future. End quote. Hmm. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't love it. I don't love somebody has a knee injury or somebody has a lower extremity injury and she's supposed to be out a few weeks and now we're throwing around quotes with the with the phrase long-term future. Am I panicking? I have a vested interest in the Lionesses winning the Euros and being successful. I do not love that quote. I'm going to go the other way, actually. Okay. I'm going to say, shout out to Emma Hayes. She's probably right. If she says that Millie Bright would play, if asked, if the Champions League final was tomorrow, she'd probably see her at least on the bench, right? Yeah. So I don't think she's lying about that part. And maybe a little gamesmanship right? So Chelsea's in the driver's seat in the WSL. They're leading their group in Champions League. You know, we don't really get to the nitty nitty gritty of the Champions League for a month and a half, two months. True. So 
what is the rush? It's not like they're falling apart. It's not like she plays the same position as Sam Kerr. You know, obviously offensive firepower is, you know, not <laughs> not Chelsea's weakness. And defensively, I think they're pretty stout. Still, yeah. Obviously, they gave up the goal today to West Ham, but I like it. I don't think there's any reason to rush her back. You know, obviously, like you've got the big international tournaments happening this summer. And then again, like the deep waters of the Champions League are still weeks, weeks and weeks away. So I kind of like it. I kind of respect Emma Hayes and her position here. And I do, I think this is the most important part. I do think she's being forthcoming. I do think she believes yeah. both of those things. We're protecting Millie. And if Millie had the opportunity to say, hey, I'm playing, I do believe that she would. I think that's a super smart read on it. And I appreciate your rational line of thinking in it. That's just, <laughs> and I think you nailed it. I think Emma Hayes is being truthful. And I am always for a manager not being an asshole and rushing a player back or like trying to put pressure or making like little kind of like snide quotes about like, oh, well, they didn't feel like they could play today. You know, like, I mean, in American sports, we see that all the time. I've seen football yeah. managers, I've seen football managers do it in Europe a lot as well. The fact that Emma Hayes said she would play because that's how she played. And she even, she gave Millie Bright retroactive credit and said she pushed it through the World Cup because she had to, to captain that squad and she was playing in the World Cup. So it seems like Emma Hayes is definitely on that right side of those things. I think for me, selfishly, I am concerned about the severity of the injury, but you raise a really good point of don't even rush her back. Give her the extra month if we have to. And so you've helped me improve my outlook. So I, I appreciate that. I'm still, you know, I don't I don't love that my captain, my defensive stalwart center back is hurt. But I mean, that goes without saying, I guess. Excellent point in the fact that, you know, in the States, you hear it all the time. Like, oh, I guess so-and-so's knee is still hurting. I'm glad we're not seeing any of that. Yeah, I know, it's just shame. terrible. Just so dehumanizing but yeah shout out to millie bright we want to see you back out there soon but in a safe way right exactly a lot of stakes a lot of stakes just hovering around everything we're doing here all right man i think we did it it's been another episode of into the channel subscribe or follow us youtube spotify apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to watch or listen comments ratings and reviews always appreciated at itc underscore pod on x at into the channel pod on threads huge thank you to my co-host Mr. Grant Engel for always looking out for a guy. I appreciate that. And let me say, my co-host, Dino DeCespedes, playing through injury, playing hurt, toughing it out through illness these past few weeks. That's my captain right there. So I appreciate you uh, always powering through. But at the same time, when you need a day off, take your day off. Noted, noted. And um, I know you have my long-term future uh, in mind as well. So I appreciate you that. <laughs> I appreciate you for that, buddy. Hell yeah, always, bud. All right, man. We'll be back previewing some Champions League matches. Can't wait to do it again next week. The football's back, buddy. I will talk to you then.